Satnam, I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Satnam. We live on a very dark planet and a darkest hour is just before the dawn. So we live on a planet that is in its night and it's dawn, just before the dawn, so it's darkest on this planet. And we've been sent here because we know the routine, we know the drill. We know where the tools are. My wife and I, every summer solstice, rent a van because we don't want to subject anything that we own to the Solstice Road, 10 miles of dirt treachery. <coughs> and so we rent a van and we drive out to New Mexico. And there was a reason why we had to fly to Seattle in the midst of Solstice. And my wife flew there first. And then I was to fly there and come back to New Mexico at the end of Solstice. And I'm driving to Albuquerque. And all of a sudden I notice a light on the dashboard. And it's a rental van, you know, and I notice this light on the dashboard. And I think, yeah, lights on the dashboard, right? They always happen. And then after about five miles, I look down at the light on the dashboard and I said, that looks an awful lot like an image of a tire. And I thought, eh, you know, one of the tires is underinflated. And then about five miles later, I noticed that the road had gotten rhythmically rough. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should change lanes. You know, positivity, right? And then I leaned over to see what, and I thought, golly, that sounds like it's coming from the van. So I pulled the van off the road and I checked the driver's side and they were fine. And I came around the back side of the van and back tire was fine. And then I looked at the passenger front tire and it was flat. And I was trying to make an airplane. And I was 20 miles from the Albuquerque airport. And I go, where is anything on this van? Where is the jack? Where is the spare tire? I don't know if you know what a van is like, but a spare tire is nowhere to be found. 
unless you know where it is. And so I finally figured out, and the back end of the van is filled with luggage. I don't mean suitcases, I mean duffel bags, tents, you got it. Chairs, folding chairs, cots. So I pull everything out of the back of the van. Cars are sailing by me at 85 miles an hour. And I'm figuring, well, if I get blown into traffic, liberation. <laughs> And as I'm looking for the tire, and I'm looking for the jack, I finally find the jack. And I don't know if you've seen a modern jack. I mean, they give it to you like a token. It's like, you'll never use this. You'll call AAA. This is a ridiculous imitation of a jack. <laughs> But if you really have to use it, give it a try. We don't know if it works. <laughs> this is Toyota's attitude, right? And with the jack, there was a little plastic bag that had a large bag inside. I have no idea why that large bag was there. Maybe if you got sick while you were changing your tire, you could throw up in the bag. I have no idea. But on this little bag, was a diagram of where the spare tire was. And I don't know if they gave me the wrong bag, but the spare tire was not where that bag said it was. And so I am ripping up carpet. I am pulling up the seats that we had dropped down. I was, and in amongst all of that, I'm trying to flag down drivers. <laughs> Nobody is stopping. I mean, where's a police person when you haven't broken the law? <laughs> they always show up when you have, you know? But Wasn't it raining that day too? It was very windy yes. and pelting rain. Yes. <laughs> so just thanks for adding that in. <laughs> you know how in sports they have two guys, you know, and they play off each other, right? And then I turn around, and this woman is walking towards me. And excuse me for being sexist in a moment, but I needed like a seven foot, 500 pound man that could lift the damn car <laughs> and place it in the Albuquerque parking lot, you know? And I look at her and I said, I can't find the spare tire. And she said, I have a van just like this. I know where your spare tire is. And she said, come here. And we went, we went to the space between the front seat and the second row of seats. And she said, can I lift up that carpet? And I said, yeah. And she lifted up the carpet, and there was carpet padding underneath, right? You know what carpet padding looks like. And in that carpet pad, there was a slice, like a C, like a horseshoe. 
she said, lift up that horseshoe. I lifted up the horseshoe and there was a nut like this big around. And she said, in the package where there is a plastic baggie, there is a, a wrench head, she said, is it anywhere around? And I said, yeah, I damn near threw the baggie away. <laughs> and I go back and I get the baggie and inside the baggie is this, this nut that fits on top, this wrench head that fits on top of the nut. She said, now take that other thing, that thing that looks like this. And she says, hook it in. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And she says, go like this and the tire will drop down onto the ground. <laughs> she said, I'll get under the car. You do this. So I'm doing this and she's, I, all I can see is her legs sticking out. From under. She says, okay, it's coming down. It's coming down. It's coming down. It's coming down. Okay, we got it. So then we pull the tire out from underneath the car. And it won't go on because the tire's not jacked up high enough. The car's not jacked up high enough. And she gets down there and she looks under and she said, the jack is in the wrong place. I said, oh dear, that's a problem. Because if, we low, if we're going to shift the jack, we got to completely lower the jack. But if we completely lower the jack, we got the flat tire already off the car. She says, well, let's get the flat tire back on the car and let's put the lug nuts back on loose. We'll lower the car down onto the flat tire again, pull the jack out, and I, and I know where the jack goes, she says. I'm thinking, does this person exist? <laughs> and there's a very class theme yogic reason for this story. But we have to drag the story on. <laughs> so we do this and we lower the jack down and she gets back under the car. This woman is an angel. And she says, okay, start cranking. I think I've got it on the frame. And so I start, I don't know if you've ever cranked one of these things, but it is stupidsville. I mean, it is like ridiculous. You know, so I'm and as I get it part way up, all of a sudden we see this flashing lights and the police car pulls up behind us and says, what are you doing? <laughs> And it was a policewoman, so now I've got these two angels there to help. And she said, because you'd better get your camp chairs, they're blowing into traffic. So I get back there and I get the camp chairs and I get them all duffel bags on top of them and I get back. And by the time I get back to the front of the car, this woman has the car all jacked up. The, the flat tire is off and she's cranking oh, wow. the spare tire on. 
I said, do you mind if I help you? <laughs> and she looked at me kind of smiling and she said, well, I just figured out how to do it, you know? And I, so we put the thing on and we get this thing done. And she says, I'll finish here. You get your luggage. Because I had told her I was trying to make an airplane. And so I'm in the back getting the luggage back in the back. And Osher, you know how heavy those bags are. Man. This is crazy making. And then I get the spare tire. These spare tire, I'm not the spare tire, the flat tire. These flat tires, they're heavy. You know, the, yeah. new, the new tires are heavy. And I'm swinging it, you know, and get it in the car, get all the car doors shut. And I turned to this woman and I said, please stand right where you are. And I went into the car and I got a $100 bill out of my wallet. And I walked up to her and I thrust it into her hands, which were black with grease. And I said, don't you dare try to refuse this. <laughs> and she burst into tears. And she closed her fist around that $100 bill and I waved to the, to the policewoman. I gave this woman a hug, got back into my car, started towards the airport, arrived at the gate as we were boarding. Wow. Point of the story. This world is a van. <laughs> with four flat tires. Yogi Bhajan had a van just like this one and knows where the spares are. But without that knowledge, we're stuck just arguing over plots of land, resources, what color is your skin, what gender are you, what sexual orientation are you, what, what belief system do you have, what nationality is on your passport. We're arguing over meaningless things that make zero difference in the prosperity of life, in the health of life. And what Yogi Bhajan brought us was a way of changing the flat tires because we didn't need to be taught what he brought. We needed to be reminded of what he brought because we've used it before. We are the first responders and we get sent all around the cosmos. When planets are in a state like this one, where they're in between stages of evolution, where they have maximized the need for physical survival, where physical survival has been so surpassed that now we're just inventing things to entertain ourselves while we survive. But because we are no longer in the midst of anything that we truly need, we have created, we have made up problems over which we can dispute. 
And in those disputes, we create new needs like the nuclear need, nuclear proliferation, non-proliferation. I mean, this is not what life does. Life doesn't invent things to destroy itself. Human beings that have lived beyond anything that makes any sense at the level of evolution, where we come from is so articulate, so accurate, so benevolent, so respectful, so trustful, so faithful, so healthy, that we come from those planetary systems in which the purpose of life is to propagate life. That the purpose of life is to maintain life, not extinguish life, not destroy life not invent at the rate of a trillion dollars a year weapons to annihilate that which is different ever so slightly. And this is the natural state of a planet that is in this condition, flat tires on a freeway in a pelting rainstorm with a howling wind. That's Earth, right here, right now. And what we practice and what we teach in this room and in rooms all over the world is how do we break inside the hull of the seed? The hull of a seed is purposefully very much off-putting. Oftentimes the hull of a seed has spikes and thorns. Oftentimes it's very hard. Oftentimes it is even poisonous. All in order to protect the seed. But we've reached a point in evolution in which we need to dissolve the hull of the seed of survival. And we need to expose the seed itself. And the seed is love. The seed is trust. The seed is health. The seed is how do we, in this human instrument, reach out into the cosmos to comprehend the actuality of life and the nature of the vastness. Because when we understand the actuality of life and the nature of the vastness, we become instantaneously compassionate, instantaneously understanding, instantaneously tuned into how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? Just like that woman stopped and came up to me and said, how can I serve you? 
And when I told her what I needed, she says, I know where that is. And when we rely on our knowledge and our awareness, and we have committed ourselves to service, we actually tune in to the fact that we too know where it is. Yogi Bhajan demonstrated, because if you ask his children and his wife, and anybody that knew him back in India, he didn't read books. He didn't get this from books. He got this because he was taught this. And then he used what he was taught to gain access to the seed. And that's our task. And you gain access to that seed not through worry and concern and thinking about the seed. You gain access to the seed by believing that you have access to the seed. And believing is a sensation that comes from fully expanded lung. Yogi Bhajan used to always say, when you breathe, you believe. Because a deep breath actually ignites the peptides and hormones that make you think, ah, oh, I believe this. It's like when something new comes to you, you go, hmm. It's a natural response. You are breathing in the belief. Every part of our body is part of that seed structure. And Kundalini Yoga, as taught by Yogi Bhajan, teaches us how to use each part of our body. Are you a little light on motivation. It's not a question that I'm asking you as a pertaining to your life. But if you are, you will notice that things tend to fall short in your life. That you have a good idea, but it just doesn't quite work. You have an, you have an attitude, but it just doesn't quite play out. And that means that you need to strengthen the muscles, tendons, ligaments, and bone in your right thigh. Are you feeling like you don't have purpose? Or you're wondering, what is my purpose? This means that your pelvis is locked. That you need to open the pelvis in relation to the two thigh bones and the spine. Because out of the bone marrow and the bone tissue of the pelvis is all that supports your purpose, which is also known as your concept of life. Because it's within the pelvic bowl that you are conceived. All of these body parts are the seed of your life. 
But what is the vast majority of this dark planet involved with? They are involved in just servicing the shell of the seed. Which means that they are just accumulating. Food that isn't food. Shelter. Automobiles, planes, all of these things service just the shell of the seed. And if that's all there is, then people make up stories and call them religions. And then differentiate between who believes in that story and who believes in that story and who believes in that story. And that becomes terms for war. They make up stories about lines of demarcation. That's Germany, that's France, that's the United States. And they fight over it. This planet is where Lord Krishna was talking to Arjuna. It's all symbology. We have to comprehend the disastrous nature of this planet. We cannot look away from the disastrous nature of this planet. We must absorb it and not maintain it. It's called see the faults and then unsee them, but don't not see them. And anything that we have in our life which, in which we are dealing with the flat tires of life is a gift to our life so that we can sustain our inertia while we're having to deal with what it is that we're having to deal with in this world. All the time we must set aside time every single day in which we service all of these body parts. We must service our heart because it has three components. Hope, will, and courage. Hope that there is an outlet, an opportunity, a solution the will and willingness to pursue that solution. And then when we're in pursuit of that solution, there will be equal and opposite opposition. That's when we need courage. And so we do meditations for the heart, we do exercises for the heart, we do postures for the heart. Anytime your arms are up at 60 degrees, you're servicing the heart because not only is the blood coming through that direction, but also the energy is as well. So anytime that you create a 90 degree angle, you produce an electromagnetic charge, which is charging your nervous system. And the nervous system is all about sustaining the belief, the hope, will, and courage. Because your nervous system will carry thoughts and feelings. And if your nervous system is strong as steel, 
steady as stone, which is a yogic expression, right? Strong as steel, steady as stone, strong as steel. We teach it to our children because it's really, they love it, you know, ha, 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 yeah. It's rhythmic, it's melodic, it's, you know, it has that sensation. Nerves of steel is what it's called. When your nervous system is strong, it doesn't break down. And what are the exercises that do that? Those that give you an electromagnetic charge, those that sustain you with willpower that's forcing that willingness through your nervous system. All of those exercises, you wonder what in the world are we doing so long for? You know? You know, whatever it is, right? Yes, it's creating this nerve of steel because your muscles are not going to be able to hold it up. I remember one time, one summer solstice, in, in one of the, uh, my, our son was getting to be the age where he could do tantric and he wanted to do tantric, he wanted to do tantric. He said, I want to do tantric with you, Papa. I want to do tantric with you. I thought, okay, I'll do tantric with you. And then I realized when I sat in the tantric line sitting across from my son, I better not mess up. <laughs> I can mess up in front of my wife. You know, I can give up in front of my wife. She'll feel sorry for me. And I go, oh, <laughs> poor thing, poor thing. No, but not, no, you're not going to give up in front of your son. Man. He's, uh, he's, he's watching you. He's watching you. And he's not really doing the exercises for Tommy. He's doing them because he wants to see, can I do them longer than my papa can? Can I do them longer than my papa can? Right? And there was a 62-minute exercise that I swear to God, at three seconds in, I thought, I'll, make, I'll never make it past seven seconds. <laughs> and then I made it past seven seconds, and then I made it past 15 minutes, and then I made it past, and then I, all of a sudden I realized he had said, Yogi Bhajan had said, inhale, and I can't get my arms down. <laughs> Seriously. My brain was no longer connected to the mechanism that could give up. That somehow my nervous system had locked me in, that I was not able to give up. Now it was over, I still couldn't give up. I was going to have to walk around like this all day long. Yeah? So I leaned forward to our son and I said, So Perk, can you pull my arms down? And he looks at me and he goes, Man, that's pathetic. <laughs> so I had proven my point, but he still got the last jab in, right? So he reaches out and he pulls down my arms, and it hurt. You know, it hurt to get him down. Then I had to figure out, okay, where are the nerves that, that, that work those muscles, you know, to work those arms again? This is the seed. This is accessing the seed. We are always taking care of the shell. We're getting new houses, we're moving apartments, we're getting a new car, we're getting our car washed, we're, we're taking people out to dinner, we're doing this, we're doing that. What would you like to eat? And he's like, so much is just to be done for the shell and all of our disruptive interactions, it's just shell to shell. 
Because seed to seed is a phenomenon of love. Seed to seed is a phenomenon of trust. I don't know if you watched the second night of the debates. <laughs> Marianne Williamson, God bless her. You know, she's off on the very side because, you know, the real people are in the center. You know? And they're in there grinding shell to shell, shell to shell, shell to shell. And Marianne comes, you know, somebody asks Marianne a question and she goes, well, the way I see it is that what we're dealing with now is we're dealing with people who are operating on hatred. I would prefer to operate on love. And I'm thinking, wow, a voice of the future. And you should have seen everybody across the, the thing and they kind of. It was like they just, everything kind of like stopped. And she said, and I will confront. Mr. Trump, with his hatred, with love. And I thought, <clears throat> Gandhi for president, <laughs> right? Because it was love that freed India hmm? from what was then the most vicious military force in the world, which was the British force. Hmm? Now we're the most vicious. And we'll have to do it from the inside. But politics aside, <clears throat> that's just a picture of what is. One person amongst all of that candidate and all of that political, you know, haggling on shell to shell comes through from seed. And the only thing that has the future is the seed. The shell does not ha hold the future. The shell protects the seed which holds the future. So the shell is vital. But if the shell is holding on while the seed is trying to grow, then what is happening is that the shell is resisting the growth of the future. That's terms for annihilation. That's terms for extinction. And that's what we are at this moment in time. And so what we do in this classroom is we activate. Every class that you have in this room is a different act going to activate a different part of this of this seed mechanism. You know, I our family is going through a real challenge right now because of of our daughter's uh, son, who only lived for 36 hours, the, our, third, our, our third grandchild. And, you know, and as I was getting ready to teach class, I had to, I had to uh, attach the microphones, right? In order to do that and not clip it in my beard, so I go like this, every time I move my head, you know, it yanks my beard. I put my head back like this, and I do it at the beginning of every class. 
But what came through more than anything else is that when you put your head back, that activates the atlas. And the atlas is faith. And what faith does is that when, when you are under great pressure, great three-dimensional and four-dimensional pressure, faith releases you into the higher dimensions where what is taking place in these three and four dimensions make total sense but are not limited. So in this moment our family in three and four dimensions is very sad. But in the higher dimensions it's clear exactly what is the meaning of the events that take place. This isn't the only tragedy in the world. And it's not even a tragedy. It's just part of destiny. So when you experience something, he, he was the woman on the freeway. He came up and said, I know where that is. Lift up the carpet of your, of your physical body. There's a little horseshoe. Pick that up. Find the nuthead that will fit on that. And he went through it step by step by step. Faith, trust. Inhale, turn your head left. Exhale, turn your head right. What are you doing? You're activating trust. So that when you experience a moment later down the road and you need some trust, you've activated it. You need some faith, you've activated it. You need some motivation activated. You need to know your purpose. Activated. You need to get some effervescence off of your purpose in the form of, okay, I know my purpose. What am I supposed to do with it? And what comes off of your pelvic floor up through the adrenals and the spleen and the stomach and all of those digestive systems are called notions. Notions are ideas that are very faint. They're like whispers. Yogi Bhajan had a notion that caused him to leave India and come to the West. He was a customs officer, 18 months from a fully funded pension, which would have secured his family for the rest of their lives. And he abandoned all that, much to their disgust at that moment, because he wanted to follow his notion, and his notion was very obtuse. It wasn't very well-defined. It was, I will be here, and I will be here after. And he thought, well, how does that happen? And then he got what he called an intention. And his intention was that I will come and meet all of you. And I will inspire you to become 10 times greater than me. And that's what he said. He said, he's going to go out into the world and he's going to inspire people not to learn what he knows, but to remember that they know it too. Can you strike a match 
and light a piece of steel on fire? Yes or no? No. No. When you light a match to light a fire, there has to be something there that can catch on fire. And when that something there that has caught on fire has caught on fire, is that fire in that which is caught on fire the identical fire that is in the match? It's not a trick question. Is it identical to the fire that's in the match? Yes. Yes, it is. So he lights a fire, but that fire is in you. When the match comes near you, your fire ignites, and it's exactly like the fire of the, of the master teacher. So what does that make you? If your fire is exactly like the fire of the master teacher, what does that make you? A master teacher. That's why it's called recognition, which means recognition to know it again. The only way we learn anything is to recognize it, to know it again. It's called an aha moment, yes? And why do they call it an ah, ha? What is the dominant sound in ah, ha? Ah. And what does ah do? Hmm? Opens the throat. And what is the throat chakra? The throat chakra is what takes knowledge and puts it into understanding. Because it puts it into language, which means gauging the depth or the length. This is seed information. It makes no sense to those who are only worshiping the shell. They will pass it off and say, hocus pocus, that's nonsense. <laughs> we go, oh my God, that makes total sense, don't we? Because we recognize it. Our fire ignites. The fire of our mastery ignites. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more. All classes can be found now on gurusing.teachable.com. There's going to be long-form classes available there. 30-minute long yoga classes with Kriya. There's also what is called a Kundalini Recharge. It's a brief lecture about something like depression or gratitude or achievement or partnering or success. And it'll be a lecture with a pranayama, breathing exercise, and a single asana that you can just jump into during the day and then it'll round out with an affirmation or meditation. And these will be like 11 minutes. And then there are also going to be audio files which are guided 11-minute meditations which you can listen to. And that's all within gurusing.com. Satnam.